0: Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey, it's Jeffrey here. I'm glad you're listening to our podcast, and um, I hope that this one is as edifying for you as all the others. We don't put out anything that we don't feel good about, and of course, I always feel good about talking about the Bible. So um, the most recent episode should have been a change of pace. Uh, it was a sit-down interview between me and one of the local pastors, uh, Kirk, and I really enjoyed that visit. And if uh, if you'd like a change of pace... Um, you know, it's just it's not adversary at all, adversarial at all. It's just two guys who love Jesus talking about how we try to do that in the context of the church and small town Oklahoma. <clears throat> I really got a lot out of it, so um, I hope you did too. Um, now this this episode here is just uh, the proclamation of the word from this last Sunday, and it was. Uh, you know, Romans, it's all one cohesive piece, and of course we're still preaching through Romans. But uh, this chapter was very different than the chapter that came before. So if, if you listened, last week uh, we covered um, this prophecy about um, the Jews coming into the new covenant uh, community once the fullness of the Gentiles had come in. And we don't usually talk about end times prophecy like that. Um, although it, <laughs> it's there, uh, we should talk about it. Um, but this this last Sunday is a return to more my forte of uh, what does a transformed life look like? How should we live? How should we not live? And in particular, this phenomenon of uh, not taking revenge for ourselves. What's, how does that work? Why, why are we told that? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, anyway, I just pray that God's Holy Spirit would rest upon you as you meditate upon his word, and I pray that um, you would continue in your feelings of affection and support for this church here in Nawata, Oklahoma. Uh, I love this church. It's an exceptional church. It's growing and abounding in righteousness, and um, I'm just pleased to be the pastor, so uh, thanks for supporting us. Apparently, I took my time today. It's already 11.45. We're on page 1761 of your Pew Bibles. We're doing Romans chapter 12 today. We've been doing every chapter of Romans up till now, and Romans has been largely based on uh, or concerned with theology, especially theology of covenants. Uh, What's beneficial about the old covenant through Moses on Mount Sinai? Uh, What's beneficial about the new covenant through Jesus? And how are Jews and Gentiles different? How are they the same? We've been talking about a lot of theology up till now. This chapter is eminently practical. It's about how we live our daily lives, our principles, yours and mine, all Christians, okay? So this is kind of in a very different gear from last week. Last week we were talking about how why it is that God has turned the Jews away for the time being. It's so that he can show his mercy on them and bring them back into the fold at the end of history, right? Hopefully you remember that message from last week. So chapter 11 ended with these words starting in verse 34. This is from the book of Job. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? The answer there, of course, is no one. God is above us. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? The answer, of course, is no one. There is nothing we can do to put God in our debt. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So it ended with just how great and wonderful and magnanimous and powerful and glorious God is and when we say that about God, we realize that I am not. I am not my own. I belong to God. So it's, it's establishing God up here. And then when God is this high and his plans are this perfect and his mind is unsearchable and his ways perfect in all, all his ways, then how should we live? That's what this is turning to in, in chapter 12. So let's continue to listen to the word of God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, In view of God's mercy, is God merciful? Yeah, Yeah, Susie's been reading the book of Jonah. She's read it three times through to me. Jonah's one of the most wonderful books that's how scandalous God's mercy is, right? Because he sends Jonah to warn the Ninevites, awful Assyrians who have been killing God's people, to warn them that God is going to punish them if they don't repent. And he doesn't want to preach to them because he doesn't want them to repent because he doesn't want God to forgive them. At the end of the book he says god i didn't want to tell them because i knew you're a merciful god and all you big pushover you'd forgive them and of course god is that merciful he is a merciful god so even though he he judges and he brings wrath he also has abounding mercy scandalous mercy much more merciful you know the, i i don't know how many of you follow me on facebook but i posted a meme of an angry person saying jesus there's so many evil wicked people in the world why don't you just slay them And Jesus gets closer to them and whispers in the ear and says, Because then I'd have to slay you too. There's a good sermon for you right there. God is merciful. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, when we're talking about sacrifice, remember, he's writing to Jews. This is in the Bible, the Old Testament They would bring goats, bulls, rams, doves. They would kill them. They would pour their blood on the altar, and their blood would atone for their sin, cover their sin. Jesus, of course, is the last atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We're talking blood theology here, blood sacrifice theology. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, is he saying that you and I should come up here and just cut ourselves open, literally? No, he's saying that your and my bodies are vessels, temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are not our own. They belong to God. And now your and my bodies, they don't belong to us. They belong to God. And everything our bodies do should glorify God because they belong to him. They are a spiritual sacrifice, good, holy, and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship is not singing the right worship songs. It's not dressing up nice. It's not sitting in the right pew. We do all these things, hopefully. But the pure worship that we're going after is dedicating our bodies as living sacrifices to our God. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Conform means match, right? This world is corrupt, fallen, depraved, messed up. We're born conformed to this world. And there is massive pressure to conform to the world. What, what, do we, what words do we have for people who don't conform to the world? I didn't hear. I just heard. Shout one out. Huh? Non-conformist. That's a, a nice formal one. I like that. A non-conformist. What other words do we have for people who don't conform to the world? Weirdos. That's a good one. Weirdos, right? Uh, George, what does your doctor call you? An oddball, right? George is his oddball patient. He doesn't actually mean that in a bad way, though. But, yeah, people who, who don't conform to this world. Weirdos. Oddballs. Sometimes we call them misfits. Or, uh, I don't know, what else do we call them? Outcasts. Yeah. We have a lot of words for people who don't fit in. And the scripture is saying that should be you. You're called to be a weirdo. You're called to be, another scriptural term is, a peculiar people. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, not conformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Whose mind are you and I supposed to have? The mind of Christ Jesus. We're told several times in scripture that the mind of Christ himself is supposed to be in us. So you and I are born. We're not Jesus. We're called to be transformed into Jesus. Can that happen? Yes. By the power of who? The Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's this process called sanctification. The whole point of life is to become a weirdo and an oddball to the world and to become Christ to the world. Did they think Jesus was an oddball? Yes. They thought he was so odd that he needed to be killed. That's the cross. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Who is he talking to here? Is he talking just to the church leadership? Who's he talking to? The whole church. He said, brothers and sisters. He was talking to the whole church. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Is good and pleasing and perfect will. Have you ever been confused about what God wants from you? Yes. That's a natural part of life. And if you want to know God's will, then you need to die to self and be born again by the power of water and the spirit. That's what we're all about here. You need to be transformed in your mind by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And then you will go through your life and you will never doubt what God's will is. Doesn't that sound like such a blessing? You'll never have to go, what do you want me to do, God? You will know. The Holy Spirit will tell you in accordance with God's holy word. You will never have to doubt. You will never have to wonder. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Don't think more highly of you than you ought. There's, everybody thinks their opinions are good, right? I posted a meme yesterday from uh, Spurgeon. It said, uh, the faith of Jesus Christ is the anvil upon which God's hammer hits the opinions of men. Or uh, hits is not uh, is something more violent than that. But our opinions disappear against God's truth, right? In, uh, in another saying we have in our language, I like it. Opinions are like armpits. We all have them and they all stink, okay? Opinions are no good. Y'all don't like me because you know the original reference there. It's a good saying. It has a point. Your opinion's not worth much. My opinion's not worth much. Opinions aren't worth anything. What matters is the truth of God. That's all that matters. In the end, he is not at all curious about your opinions. He's curious, did you submit to his word? Jesus said in John chapter 14, 15, those who love me do what? They obey my commandments. If you love Jesus, you obey him. If you love the Lord, you conform yourself to his mind, his word. Here is saying your job is not to be proud and think your opinion. It is oh so great. Your job is to submit, obey. Verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. He's talking about the church, isn't he? The church is called the body of Christ. He talks about this also in 1 Corinthians 15. He lays it out very clear. You and I are actually not automatons. We are not independent creatures. We are bound to one another in a corporate entity, the body of Christ, the church, and we need one another. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the nose, I have no need of you. When the church starts feeling like some people are more important than others, that's when a church is no longer biblical. Every single member of the body is essential for following Christ. And there is no part of the body that can separate and say, oh, I can follow Jesus just fine on my own. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. When you are in Christ, you want to be with his people. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, he's not saying that only some of us have to show mercy. But he is saying there are some of us that are more gifted at showing mercy. There are some of us that are more gifted at prophesying. We all have different gifts, okay? I'm not good at the same things as Cody or David or Karen. Each person has different gifts. We are called to joyfully offer these gifts to one another in the body of Christ for God's glory. Amen? And when we're making excuses going, oh, I'm not nearly as gifted at, at preaching as Pastor Jeffrey, so I don't need to tell the gospel to anybody no that's not how this works we all have a calling from christ jesus to use the gifts he has given us for his glory and the upbuilding of the body and god is going to call people into our midst that we have to minister to not just children what we started off with but there are babes in christ who are adults who are old people they need to be told the word of god they need to be given a chance to respond they need to be prayed over they need to be corrected they need to be encouraged did you notice that encouragement was one of these spiritual gifts that listed here? Encouragers are perhaps sometimes the most important people in the church. There's a reason why the Bible warns against murmuring and complaining. That's not welcome. Encouraging, upbuilding, that's what a church needs. Verse 9: Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Are Christians called to hate? Yeah, it's right here. Hate what is evil. It doesn't say hate. Who is evil? It says hate. What is evil? There's a distinction there. We are not called to kill and hate our enemies. We are called to kill and hate the principalities and powers that animate our enemies. They are under the dominion of Satan and his minions. And we are at war against those spiritual powers. We are not war against flesh. That is very clear from Ephesians. But we are called to hate. We're called to hate those evil powers with perfect hatred. You ever thought of such a thing? Oh, I hate them with perfect hatred, King David said in the Psalter. Hate, All of the emotions we've been given are good if they are brought in conformity with Christ, with the mind of Christ. Did Jesus ever hate? You better believe he did. Jesus got angry. Jesus got upset. He got mad. He got sad. He cried. He wept. These are things we call negative emotions, and we we like the happy emotions. Emotions, keeps me singing as I go. Keep him smiling, right? That's only half of faith. The other half is lament. We live in a culture that we need more comfort with these negative emotions. We got one of the sickest cultures right now. When somebody dies, how often do families say, oh, we don't want anyone to be sad. Let's have a celebration of life. No, let's not mourn them. Let's not be sad together. Let's get together and be happy. Let's just be happy. We need to be happy all the time. No, we need to be sad when sad things happen. I think it says right after this, rejoice with those who rejoice, but mourn with those who mourn. We're called to do both. I lost my place. Where are we? Nine. I have not made it very far. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. There's that humility thing, right? Never be lacking in zeal. Zeal is when you're excited, passionate, fervent in your faith. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. God doesn't want lukewarm Christians. He wants us to be on fire for him. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Is that easy? Affliction is suffering, right? It's saying being patient. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When there are people in the body who are in need, our job is to take care of them. This is not the group of people that pulls ourselves up by our bootstraps, and if somebody's suffering, well, it's your own dang fault. Rather, we take care of one another in the body. And that means that if you're blessed to have more than you need, you need to give it to the church so we can take care of others. And if you're a person who has less than you need, you need to let us know. I'm in the ministerial alliance. There are people all the time who call the ministerial alliance, and they're asking for help paying bills or getting stuff together, and we'll say, do you belong to a church? And they'll say, yeah, but I don't want to tell them about it. And I have to say, this is the whole point of the church. You need to tell them before you tell us. It's their job to help you. You're robbing them of their job to help you. If you're ever in trouble, lean on the church. We're supposed to be here for one another. If you disagree with me, you just need to go home and read this a few more times. The church is here to care for one another. And there isn't any shame in that. We're the group of people that knows we can't save ourselves, right? We know that we are not worthy of God's love, and he has poured out his grace on us. We're not here to save face and pretend that we've all got it together and that we don't need any help. We're the people who say, Jesus, I need help. I'm here because I need your help. We're here to help one another. We're here to bear each other's burdens, celebrate each other's victories. And if we are not helping each other in times of need, we're not a church. We're just a social club, and a social club doesn't save. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the church saves. It's faith alone that saves. But if you want a living and active faith, you've got to be in the community of faith. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. This is what the children's sermon was about. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Here's that section I was talking about. Mourn with those who mourn. Are Christians called to be happy all the time? No. When I see somebody's happy all the time, I just think they're a phony. Or a sociopath. One of the, I don't know. A sociopath is someone who doesn't feel somebody's feelings. To look somebody in the eyes who's suffering and to still be happy, that isn't the love of Jesus. Jesus was moved by our pain and sin. We should be moved by others' pain and sin. There's a time to cry, there's a time to die. Verse 16 live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Man, this is like the third exhortation we've got. To not, not to be proud, right? To be humble. It's almost like it's really important, right? If you're prideful, you need to get rid of that right now. You need to be a humble person. Do not esteem yourself or your opinions high. Rather, regard yourself as low and God as high. And others as at least as high as you. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Ooh. I like, I like hanging out with rich people because they're well behaved and they smell nice and they have good manners. You know, when I ask them about the day, they ask me back. You know, we can all just be very polite together. But that's not how Jesus lived, is it? He, he, uh, he hung out with outlaws, he hung out with, with sinners, with poor people. He had a heart for the poor. That's how we're supposed to be. If you like being around polite, well behaved people, that's natural. What we're called to be is unnatural oddballs right drawn to care for those who are not easy to care for verse 17 do not repay anyone evil for evil wasn't hayden great up here a minute ago just talking about just common sense yeah he punched me in the eye i hate that guy that is natural human nature right there and we're called to be unnatural we are called to never return evil for evil why Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, that's, <laughs> that is not what it sounds like it means. Because when we're not called to be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? We're not supposed to do what the world thinks is right. I'm quite certain here he's talking about within the church, those who know the gospel. Do what's right in their eyes. If it is possible, verse 18, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, And we were clear there are a lot of people outside of Christ who are going to hate you and be your enemies. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about that, and you just have to come to terms with that. But as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. Do not return evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge, right? Revenge is when someone does you wrong and you do them wrong back. Do not do that, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath. What is wrath? That's not a word we use much in, in today's language. What is wrath? Can anyone tell me? Is it just meanness? Is it just God being mean and, and nasty to people? No, people. Oh, he kills people. When God pours out his wrath, he justly punishes wickedness with anger and indignation. Do we have a wrathful God? Yes. Absolutely. Does he punish evildoers? Yes. Absolutely. Now, we started with, y'all aren't as excited to talk about wrath. Is God merciful? Oh, you like that. Is God wrathful? Ah, there you go. That was pretty even. We've got a God who has both sides, don't we? He will show mercy upon whom he will show mercy. He will have compassion upon those whom he will have compassion. He will judge those who are guilty. He will punish with his wrath evildoers. God's going to do it. So if God's going to do it, who's not going to do it? You. You. And here's one of those weird things. Because God shows mercy, does that mean that we have to show mercy? Yeah. We are supposed to be merciful. God is going to show wrath. Does that give us permission to show wrath towards others? No. This is one of those things that's asymmetric in the faith. God. God loves sharing in the mercy. He's jealous about the wrath. He wants that for himself. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. That's what God says. You see that little note there at the bottom D? That's from Deuteronomy. This is Old Testament through the New Testament. God is going to repay. He's going to take vengeance. He's going to pour out his wrath. You don't take that from him. You might feel upset. It's not your job to punish. It's God's job to punish. Who do you think can punish better, you or God? Oh, God. Oh, he's got everything. He's got resources at his disposal you can only dream of. He's going to punish them just fine. Stay out of the way. Get out of the way. If you want to pour out punishment, you just keep it to yourself. You just pray. You give that to God because God is going to punish them better than you ever could. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. There are two pretty different renderings of what this can mean. Heat burning coals. Most people think of hellfire and coals and stuff, right? You're you're just killing them with kindness. Ah, you're just damning them all the more. And I think that is one rendering of this that's faithful. You know, there are some people who are so mean and nasty to you that even when you're kind to them, that just makes them hate you more, right? In Revelation, whenever God's judgment is being poured out on evildoers, rather than repenting, they curse God all the more. Those fools. But that's how wicked some people are. But other people... When they see your kindness, their hearts change. I remember there was a gal at, who in college who really hurt my feelings, and she just decided she wanted to be my friend one night. And I was like, "Get away from me! I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't want to be your friend." But she pursued me with kindness, and we were best friends for a couple of years. I had never felt like such a. Sl- I just couldn't be mad at her when she was so kind to me. And that's how some people are: that no matter, uh, you know, that no matter how much they hate you to begin with, your kindness will be. Uh, the other metaphor here is in ancient cultures they didn't have central heating and air right and you'd have to sleep at night which means your fire at your home would go out so there would be a central fire in the middle of town where in the morning you could take your containers and you can go and get uh, coals from the fire in the middle of town and take them back to your house to restart your home fire and so in the middle of winter you could be carrying your hot container on your head and it would keep you warm as you walked home so the notion here could be that by loving our enemies, praying for them, blessing them, we are actually softening their hearts and preparing them for God's salvation. Can you imagine what a powerful witness that would be if you, if you had someone who hated your guts and you just patiently loved them, pursued them, prayed for them, blessed them, and one day Jesus spoke to them and you got to ent- ent- help them enter into the community of salvation. Can you imagine such a thing? That's one of the areas, I mean, as soon as, I mean, I had a guy get in my face a couple months ago, and I, right back, I I didn't even wait. I had a rejoinder for him. That guy is not going to come to Jesus through me. I feel bad about that. I've already decided for Christmas I'm going to send his family a fruit basket because I need to undo the damage that I did by rearing up against this guy. It's natural. Jesus calls me to be unnatural, or rather, supernatural. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, can I be? Last line here in verse 12. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I feel like we talked through it pretty good. Is there any closing thoughts from anybody or should we end here? Uh, Just because I'm done doesn't mean you have to be. Anything else needs to get said? As always, I want you to go home. I want you to read this stuff. I want you to read what we covered before. The whole point is to connect it all and equip you in faith. So you've heard my encouragement for today? Okay. Uh, today is World Communion Sunday. This is the first Sunday of the month. We're going to have communion. However, a number of you usually, once it gets about this time, you need to go home. So I'm going to go ahead and excuse you. Anyone who's still here in three minutes, we're going to start on a, the, the ceremony of the table together. So uh, God bless you take the word with you. If you're still with me in a minute, I look forward to eating with you.